Well, I'm Josh. Glad to be with you guys. I'm usually here just on that side of things. Uh, but thank you guys for coming out on New Year's Eve, right? Last day of 2023. Tomorrow's going to be a whole new year. And you know what that always makes me think of? New Year's Eve, New Year. Some of you guys have been making New Year's resolutions. Is that correct? All right. Someone out there, what, what's a New Year's resolution that you've made? Lose weight. Hey, that's, I think, a lot of us have on our list, perhaps. Grow the business. Oh, I thought it was all here. Read the Bible more. Yeah, that's uh, always a good chance. Uh, the one, I wonder if uh, maybe in Discord someone will be posting the one-year Bible reading link and get, get a fresh start tomorrow on reading the Bible more uh, this next year. Anything else? Someone from the back. What was that? Write a, book. Write a book. Oh, hey, that's awesome. All right, so next year at this time, we're going to see if you've got your book written, Audrey. So those are all, and we always have lots of different resolutions. Sometimes they're, you know, health-related, um, exercise, losing weight, eating healthier, all those kind of things. Sometimes they might be, like, relational, like spending more time with certain people. Maybe it's spending less time with certain people, uh, doing... Uh, those kind of things to improve uh, our, our social lives. Sometimes it's, you know, financial or economic, you know, growing the business or saving more money or uh, giving more to the church, whatever those things might be. Um, and sometimes it's spiritual, reading the Bible, uh, maybe uh, setting certain markers for yourself uh, that you want to get better at certain skills uh, in different ways that you're serving uh, the Lord. Well, the reason I ask this question is every new year we come around and we always have this list of rev- resolutions that we make. Um, and my question today really isn't, what are your resolutions for next year? My question today for us to think about is, why do we attach making resolutions to the calendar changing to January 1st? What is it about a new year that makes us think, hey, this is the time to finally change something about my life or my family's life or the life of my business or company, whatever that might be? What is it about the year, the the date changing to this new year that makes us think this is the chance. I'm going to change something about myself. Um, Maybe it's that change of schedules. Could be that maybe it's a holdover from when we were like elementary school and so, uh, or high school, you'd have a new semester and maybe if you got bad grades in the fall semester, okay, fresh start. I can get a little better grades in, in the spring semester. Maybe it's just, you know, everyone's bored. It's, you know, we had Christmas. It was exciting. Now we got this whole week, and we're just thinking of something to do, so let's make up resolutions uh, for the new year. Ultimately, though, I don't think it's any of that is the reason why we do those things. The reason why I think we ultimately associate resolutions and changing our lives with New Year's, as, this, as opposed to maybe a more convenient time of the year, like, can you imagine if the goal was to, like, exercise more and we started in, like, summer when the weather was nice? That would be amazing. But why do we do it with the new year? It's because I think for most of us, something about a new year gives us hope. We hope that things will be different this time around. And literally, in the case of a year, this time around the sun, as we're on planet Earth, hopefully things will be better. Hopefully things will be different. Maybe it's that, um, hey, maybe now that everyone, you know, in my social circles is doing these New Year's resolutions, I've got some peer pressure to maybe make these changes in my life. Maybe that's the hope. Maybe it's just the blind hope that, hey, 
2024 has got to be better than 2023, right? Whatever it is, I think ultimately as a culture and us as individuals, the new year for us represents hope. It represents a fresh start. It represents, okay, maybe this time we finally have enough to make those changes, to make, make a difference in our life. New Year's is all about hope. It's about our expectations for our life and our relationships or our business or our family to finally start looking like what deep down that we hope that they will be. Well, today as we look at scripture, I want us to see that hope, this hope that we are kind of instinctively looking for in our culture, we see it right here with the New Year celebration, this hope that we're, we're desperately longing for and searching for, this hope is a hope that can only be found in Jesus. So if you go with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be uh, kind of following up on some of the Christmas stories that uh, we've been talking about as a church the last few weeks. <coughs> and we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, the second half of the chapter, starting uh, in verse t- 22. This story takes place just after the story that we're all very familiar with, perhaps, of Jesus being born uh, in Bethlehem and then angels appearing to the shepherds who then went and saw the baby. And then after this, it tells us about what happens next in the life of this new baby Jesus. uh, And this is where we're going to be today. So let's read God's word together. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles And for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. (coughs) This story is one that sometimes we skip over quite a bit as we tell the Christmas story. We kind of, we end on the high note of the shepherds visiting Jesus and Uh, Here, though, this story, uh, just to kind of give us a little bit of a setting for it, um, takes place about a month after the birth of Jesus, so not very long after. In fact, if you went to your Bibles, you could read this later in Leviticus chapter 12, 
it actually describes the ceremony that Mary and Joseph were taking baby Jesus to do. Um, Jerusalem was about five or six miles from Bethlehem, so it was, it was about kind of a day's journey. You'd walk, you know, a couple hours in the morning. You'd go to the temple, go do stuff in Jerusalem, and then you'd walk a couple hours back uh, in the afternoon and, and be back there in Bethlehem by evening. And so they went and took him to the temple for this ceremony. Um, and we see here that <coughs> not only did they take him faithfully to, to do this ceremony, um, but that Mary and Joseph were not wealthy. In fact, if you read Luke uh, or Leviticus chapter 12, um, it actually says that if you're going to offer a sacrifice for your firstborn son, you're supposed to offer a lamb. But then it has this little, like, little, like, you know, asterisk and says, but if you don't have enough money for a lamb, you can offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And Luke tells us that's indeed what Mary and Joseph offered there at the temple. These, one of those <laughs> sets of two birds was offered as a sacrifice to dedicate Jesus. And as they got there, we see that um, while they went thinking they were going to be doing this dedication ceremony, that was the main thing, God actually had a different reason in mind for them to be there entirely. We see that God intended them to meet two different individuals, Simeon and Anna. And these two individuals, uh, it's noted here in the text for both of them, that they were older and that they had spent their life waiting and hoping and praying and looking forward to the one day when the Messiah would finally arrive. That they were waiting and, and spending their life. Uh, it says, you know, it describes Anna that she was in the temple. She didn't depart from it, it says, you know, kind of using a figure of speech to say she was there all the time praying and fasting and waiting because she wanted to see the Messiah. And for Simeon, he had even had a promise through the Holy Spirit from the Lord that he wasn't going to die before he saw it. It doesn't tell us exactly how old he is here, but it's presumed that he's fairly old and he's saying, hey, Someday I'm going to get to see the Messiah and then I've accomplished everything that God has put here on this earth for me. And finally here in this story, on this day, you know, this sort of religious routine that Mary and Joseph were going through, as the law said, they encountered these two individuals that God had brought and these two individuals were able to finally see the hope that they had waited for for so long. Today as we sit here on New Year's Eve, and we think about this idea of hope, the main thing I want you to take away from today is that Jesus is the hope that you've been longing for. That's, that's it. That's the simplest I can put it, and it's, it's, it's a very simple concept, and yet it's something that's very deep and runs very, uh, runs very um, deep in our hearts that, that is not just a simple statement, you know, kind of a try thing. Jesus is the hope that we have been longing for. What do we see here in this passage about the hope that Jesus brings? Well, the first thing we see here is that, first of all, we all need hope. You see this with Simeon and Anna here. Um, now, we have to kind of jump back a little bit in the story to see some of this. But it says here that Anna was at least 84 years old. So she has lived a full life. But it's not just like she has lived in this kind of fictional, you know, ideal suburban town her whole life where everything's good and, you know, she grew up. I mean, she's gone, she was married at a young age. She was widowed not too long after. She's lived as a widow, which often means you're, you know, dependent on other people to take care of you. Back in those days, they didn't have social security and those other things like that. So she has, you know, been just living by faith and dependence on other people for a very long time in her life. And she's also lived through kind of a very chaotic time in her nation's history. If you go back to 
Uh, the famous verse that we, you know, hear from Charlie Brown when, Luke, when Linus repeats the Christmas story uh, in Luke chapter 2, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. We're reminded that right now, in this time, is the time of the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus is on the throne. Rome is the empire, and not only the empire, they are an empire ruling over the Jewish people. That they are the ones in charge. The Jewish people are not in charge of their own homeland. They are not in charge of their own capital city, Jerusalem. And they are barely, you know, in charge of their own temple and all those other things. And in fact, if they're ever to step out of line, those things could be very well easily destroyed and gone forever. It was a, a very, very uh, what was the term Charles used earlier? A trepidatious time for the people. In fact, if you look at history before, just, you know, 20, 30 years before this, um, it wasn't the Roman Empire that ruled over, it was the Roman Republic. They had had a whole system of government change in the world empire that was ruling over them while, while Anna was alive. But not only that, when she would have been born, she would have actually been born under the Greek Empire. Uh, there was a, a group called the Seleucids who were a Greek kingdom that was still in the area, and they were the ones in charge of Israel. And so she has gone from seeing her country, her kingdom, passed on from this empire to this empire to this kingdom. And now finally, it seems like they have a little bit of peace um, in there, but they not only have Rome ruling over them, but they also have a guy named Herod who is in charge of the Jewish people. We don't read about Herod in Luke, but we read about him in Matthew. He's the king who famously didn't want Jesus around and ordered all the young babies to and under to be slaughtered in Bethlehem so that he could wipe out this new king before he took over his kingdom. He was not a great dude. And to make that worse, he wasn't even Jewish. He was actually from their rival neighbor, Edom. Um, and, and so not only did they have this guy who was proclaiming himself king of the Jews, was the title that Herod took for himself, but he was actually from their rival country just to the side of them and now ruling over them. Their world externally was chaotic and it was a mess. And that was one of the reasons why they needed hope. You know, our world, it may not be quite as chaotic as this. I think many of us who've grown up here in the United States, we've been fortunate to have one system of government our entire lives. Um, you know, we often don't get too worried about things like elections and other stuff, um, you know, radically changing the landscape of our day-to-day -day lives. But, you know, some of you are from other parts of the world where, you know, when it's election season, like, you got to be careful about when you go out and when there's strikes you know, if this party comes to power, they may radically change the entire system of government. That's something that happens all throughout our world. In fact, in 2023, we've seen, you know, countless conflicts around the globe. People suffering, people displaced. We've seen natural disasters, earthquakes, and, and hurricanes, and all these kind of things that affect the way people live. We, as a world, need hope. There is so much darkness and chaos and trepidation, to use the term Charles did, around us, that we are desperate for some hope. And that was the same world that Simeon and Anna were in as well here in the first century. But we see that they didn't just need hope because of these external things around them. But if you look with me here at, uh, let's see, verse 34 and 35, <coughs> Simeon says very, something very curious to Mary. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. 
Simeon and Anna didn't just need hope because of all these external things going on. But the scripture says here that one of the reasons why the Messiah would come was to expose the thoughts of human beings. See, it's not just external forces that create the chaos and suffering and darkness around us. It's also internal. It's our own choices. In fact, we look at all those things we were talking about earlier, the wars and the kingdoms and the empires. All of those were changing ultimately because someone in their heart decided, well, I want to take over that kingdom. I want more power for myself. I want more glory for myself. All the relationship problems that we see around us in our world come from someone internally deciding to do something that's wrong and taking something from someone else. This is the world that Simeon and Anna lived in, and this is the world we live in as well. A world where we need hope. A world where we are longing to see what God is doing and longing to see something change all around us. One of the things I think of, you know, as we talked about New Year's resolutions earlier, what's the biggest reason why New Year's resolutions fail? It's not ultimately, you know, anything external. It's not, you know, this empire took over our country and all this stuff. It's not, you know, this election happened or this thing happened. Most of our New Year's resolutions fell, why? Because of us, because of our choices, because of our, you know, decisions, because ultimately we choose one thing over maybe what is best for us. We need someone to come and rescue us from what is broken inside of us just as much as we need someone to come and rescue us from all the things that are broken out there in the world around us. And Simeon and Anna knew that. They knew that they needed hope, and it says that because of that, they were waiting and longing with the expectation that the Messiah would come and be the hope that they were looking for. The good news for us today, though, is that it's not just that we need hope, but because of Jesus, we can hope. Hope is not futile. Uh, look here at the words that Simeon says uh, in verse uh, 29. <coughs> he finds this child that he's been waiting for his entire life. I mean, can you imagine that? You've been waiting for this Messiah to come, and you finally meet him. You ever wonder if he thought maybe this, would this be a disappointment? Would he feel let down? I mean, he's given his whole life to waiting to see this baby. But no, look at what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon calls the Messiah. He says, God, I see it. This is your salvation. This baby that I'm holding in my arms and blessing right now, this is your rescue plan. This is the hope that we have been longing for. He's a light, and he, notice Simeon says he's not just a light to our, Jew, our little Jewish kingdom here in, in, in the Middle East who wants to get rid of the Romans. He says Jesus is a light for not only the Jewish people, but also for all the rest of the world as well, the Gentiles. In the Bible, one of the things we need to understand is that hope is not just like a wish or a dream. I mean, sometimes we kind of use the word hope like that, right? Like, man, I hope I win the lottery. Well, what's the realistic chance of that happening? I don't even play the lottery, so it's very low. I mean, I figure I got about as much chance as somebody handing me a ticket that wins as I do buying one with the, with the numbers. But I hope I win the lottery. Maybe it's, I hope I pass my exam in school, even though I didn't really study at all. You know, sometimes we kind of use it that way. Maybe it's, I hope the Jets win the Super Bowl. 
And, you know, these are all unrealistic hopes that are just wishes and dreams. And we all know this, and we use that word. But in the Bible, they don't use the word hope that way. They use the word hope to mean uh, it's, an ex- it's a confidence. It's confidence in an expected outcome. It's an expectation that something, someone is going to come through for you. And what you're waiting for is going to pay off in the end. Tell a story. Um, I like to collect Lego. Does anyone else here like Legos? At least some of the kids raise your hands and make me feel better. All right, any of them? I like to collect Legos. Now, I live in an apartment in New York City, so my space and budget for collecting Legos is very limited. Got some shelves that I, I keep them on, and they're getting very full. Um, but so for Christmas, uh, I you know, often will ask for Legos. <coughs> and so the, I always have this weird conundrum, though, because my birthday is right near the end of October. So sometimes I get a little birthday money that I want to spend. But when do people start asking, like, what do you want for Christmas? It's like, you know, right at the end of October, early November. So I'm like, oh, well, I want this thing. Do I ask for it for Christmas and hope I get it? Or do I, you know, just go buy it uh, with the money that I have? Well, this year I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to let somebody get me something. I'm going to ask for this one Lego set that I really wanted. It's this little collection of Legos uh, that was themed to the old TV show cartoon DuckTales that was on when I was a kid. Anybody watch that? Anyone? There we go. Yeah. I was like, I, I really want this Lego set. And not only that, I saw it. I was like, I, I requested it. I put it on the list. But I said, not only that, um, you know, this was to Steph because it was on her list of stuff to get me. I said, it's not only what I want, it's also on sale. And I don't know about you, but if somebody can buy me a present that I want and they also get a deal, like that, that just makes me super happy. So I'm like, here it is. Like, here it is. It's on sale right now. Hint, hint, cough, cough. Like, this is what I want for Christmas. And because I'm hoping and expecting that this is going to be something that you'll get for me because you're seeing how desperately I want this, I'm not going to buy it myself. I'm going to let it go back to full price. Maybe it'll get sold out. Who knows? But I'm going to hit hands off and wait for Christmas. So what happens? We go to Christmas Day. And I get, we, you know, usually the kids get lots of presents, and us adults, we trade off a few little things. And so I get a, finally get a present coming my way, and, you know, it has that shake to it that you hear. You know, oh, I think that's Legos inside, or somebody, you know, threw a bunch of rocks in here or something. Like, I, it's Legos. It's about the right size. Open it up. Not DuckTales. Okay, okay, okay. But this one said on the outside it was from the kids. Like, okay, that was okay. That, was, that present was for the kids. I know I got at least one more out there because usually you get, you know, at least one thing from the kids for each other and one thing from each other t- to each other. It's like, okay, I think I got one more present at least. So I wait around a little bit. Kids are opening lots of stuff. Finally, another package comes over to me. Also has the shake. Also about the right size. Like, and this one is from Steph. Okay, this has got to be it, because, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I open it up. Not DuckTales. My hope is sinking. And I'm like, is that it? Am I, gonna, am I not getting the DuckTales? Like, that's two. Like, I don't, uh, there's no guarantee that there are any other presents for me in that pile over there. All right, so I'm like, okay, but I'm, I'm going to hold on, because I, I was really pointed about how I asked about it. So it's got to be in there. So I waited. Finally, a third present makes its way over to me. Same size, same sound, but I'm like, I'm not as hopeful now. 
You know, the first one I had, I was super hopeful that was the one. And every time it, is, it went down a little bit. Now I'm more like, if it's not, like, how, how do I make a nice face? Because I'm going to be a little crushed because I really wanted that other one. I opened it up. It was DuckTales. Yeah. Finally got it. All right. She could have been really cruel because she actually had a fourth one that wasn't DuckTales either. So if she had given me that one, my hope would have, you know, really sunk down. But that's what hope looks like, that you, you make decisions, that you base your life, that you make your, your choices based on this expected outcome that you're waiting for and hoping for. You know, that's why people put money into, you know, like the retirement account or the 401k. Why? Because they're expecting that one day when they need it, that money is going to be there for them. Uh, and you base your life and you use your resources around that kind of thing. That's what hope in the Bible means. It means that we live and we shape our lives in such a way that we are banking on this outcome to happen. Otherwise, none of our choices and decisions make sense. That's what we see here with Simeon and Anna. They live their lives waiting for the Messiah, patiently waiting, praying, spending time in Jerusalem, not leaving to go off on other pursuits. Why? Because they had an expectation that the Messiah was coming. And they built their lives around that. And when they found the Messiah, they were not disappointed. They were filled with joy. I mean, Simeon goes off into this amazing prayer of blessing and and statement. It says, you know, Anna, when she did, she began to give thanks to God and she told everyone around as well, like, hey, remember the Messiah that we've been praying for and hoping for and waiting for? He's here today, right now. And they were overjoyed by it. If we spend our entire lives living in hope that Jesus is the one who can ultimately fix us, he is the one who can fix what is broken inside of us, he's the one who can fix what is broken in this world, if we live within that hope, just like Simeon and Anna, we will not be disappointed. We will not get to the end and go, man, that was sure wasted. Jesus is the hope. And he is the reason why we can hope. There's a lot of details we can jump around in a lot of scriptures about what does that look like to live in hope? What does that look like to base our lives around hope in Jesus? And we can spend a lot of time doing that today. Um, And in fact, this next year, Pastor Jonathan is going to be leading the church through the book of Philippians. And a lot of that book is pointing out like, here are the practical ways that you live your life because of the hope in Jesus that you have. So we're not going to get into that too much today. But for today, we want to remember that we can hope in Jesus, that It is not a wasted hope because Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who has come to make things right. This world is a dark place. In fact, even our own hearts can be filled with darkness and pain because of sin, and we need hope. We saw that. But Jesus has come, and he is everything that God has promised him to be. He is, as Simeon said, the Savior of the world. He is our Savior our rescuer. He is the light that can overcome our darkness. Because of that, we can hope. We can trust our lives to Jesus and faithfully follow him because of that. So we need hope, we can hope, but lastly, we must hope. Or we have to hope. Or we must keep hoping. And I'm going to show you this from a different passage of scripture. Jump with me to Titus chapter 2. This is a a passage that Pastor Jonathan, I think, has actually preached on once or twice uh, here before. 
<coughs> Titus chapter 2. It says this. We're going to start in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. I mean, that's, that's what Simeon and Anna saw right there in that little baby there at the temple. The grace of God had appeared. There was salvation for all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Ultimately, our ultimate hope is not merely in what a new year 2024 can bring us. We've seen sometimes, sometimes a new year is not a good thing. No, our ultimate hope is that one day Jesus himself will return and make all things new, both internally in our hearts and externally as well. He is our hope now for living each day and he is the hope that one day we will live with him forever. That is what it means to hope. Tonight, our takeaway is this, that Jesus is the hope that you have been longing for. Jesus is the hope that we, our hearts are craving and that we can build our entire lives around waiting and expecting and faithfully holding on to the promises that he's made. So the question today is, if Jesus is the hope that we have been longing for, are we hoping in him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. We thank you for the Christmas story and all of its details and the realness that this was a story that happened in a real place, in a real city with real people, that they were dealing with the same kind of problems of governments and taxes and censuses and uh, doing their religious rituals and all these things um, that we even deal with today. And in all that, you show us what it looks like when Jesus came in, that he was the hope, and that when he showed up, people's lives changed. Father, I pray that today, as we finish this year and as we head into 2024, that we keep that in mind, that Jesus is our hope, that it is in him that we can have full confidence that he will come through for us. That it is in him that we can have full confidence that he can fix what is broken in us, that he can give us the power to live the kind of life that you want us to live. And ultimately, that we have hope that one day he will restore all things and that we will live with you forever. Father, I pray your blessings uh, on this congregation. I pray for all of us that we would live in 2024 in light of the hope that Jesus brings. Help us to remember that each and every day. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you.
and we hope to see you soon.